This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Todd Van Hoos, next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 445 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Farm Credit Council President and CEO Todd Van Hoos says the 2023 farm financial outlook is much different than 22 or before. It's much more challenging. We don't see that level of government payments out there. The, the, the pandemic payments are behind us, I think. And those margins are narrowing. We're creating a very challenging management environment for farmers moving forward. Now, look, U.S. farmers are amazing managers, and, and, and the, the generation that's operating farms today is, is far more sophisticated, and the talent out there is, is, is immense. Um, so we think they're up to that challenge, but it's going to be a difficult operating environment moving forward. When you add in interest rates and the rising interest rates that farmers have faced this year, it's going to make it even more complicated. And, and while, you know, a lot of farm credit longer term borrowers, right, for mortgage borrowers, they locked in those low interest rates a long time ago. But operating lines are renewed every year. And, and if you think about this year, uh, we started the year with, uh, you know, the 10-year Treasury rate at 1.6% in January. It's up to 4.5% in October. Uh, 30 years, gone from 2% to 5% this year. And so we're, for a lot of people out there who, who may not remember what interest rates looked like in the late 80s, uh, these are the highest rates they've ever seen. And that, that is going to put pressure on people as well. So inflation is red hot and higher interest rates seem to be a given. How will this affect operating lines for 23, not to mention the challenge of either the price or the availability of input supplies that are needed? Yeah, I, I think there'll be plenty of credit available. I, I don't I don't want to imply anything but that. But farmers are going to have to make, I think, pretty tough choices in, in their management plans moving forward. You know, how much of this... How much of these high inputs are, are, are they going to purchase? When are they going to purchase them? A lot of people have contracted for things. And then we're having to face questions that nobody's ever faced before, like, okay, even if I say I want to buy it, can I get it? And, and I think all that's very real out there. And, and so, you know, like I say, 2022, largely pretty good. Uh, 2023 may be a little bit different story. Is this creating a difficult environment for farmers to make long-range plans, especially those farms and operations that might be in transition? Oh, you know, transition's a big issue, and we can talk about that. But I do think it is, it is hard to, to look forward and say, I can predict with any range of accuracy what my input costs are going to be. I mean, most people think, uh, you know, you listen to the Ag Economist. I just hung up with one a minute ago. Um, you know, the, the price 
for commodities is is eh, probably going to remain relatively elevated, right? And and by the way, as soon as I say that, it'll be wrong, but but it'll probably remain elevated. The thing people are more certain about is the input prices are going to be elevated. And if history is any teacher, as if commodity prices come down, input prices lag. And and so I I think it's tough to be very accurate in your forecast right now, and, and as a result, farmers have a difficulty planning, certainly beyond next year. Not long ago, we saw farmland in Iowa sell for over $26,000 <laughs> an acre. Now, it's not all like that, but there were three other bidders that were above 25000 as I understand. So it's hard to ask this question, but it's one that should be noted. What have you discussed with regard to the land outlook in the U.S.? You know, uh, Jeff, we, we've all heard the same story you, you just said, right? There's always that, that one person who really bid high on a piece of land. I, I can tell you, though, that in those circumstances, um, that's cash talking. Um, and, and so what we're seeing is on those really high-end land purchases, you're seeing a lot of demand, um, but you're not borrowing that money or you're not borrowing very much of that money. And so that's, there's a lot of cash still out there, and, and that cash is, is certainly pressuring some prices. There's also some investors who are looking at the, at the uh, stock market and saying, well, you know, they're not building any more ag land, um, and maybe that's a good investment. So we're seeing investment investors come back in. We, we've been very careful throughout this. It's hard to call it anything but a run-up in prices across the last 15 years. We've been very careful at how much of that farmers are going to borrow versus how much of that they're going to use their own uh, assets for. And and as a result of that, the, the leverage ratios within agriculture have remained pretty stable and pretty pretty low compared to other industries. So so we don't see a bubble. Certainly you wouldn't want to try to turn around and, and sell that $26,000 an acre land next week maybe, and you certainly wouldn't want to try to borrow money to buy it. But, you know, I, I think those instances will be out there. As, as we all know, land values are absolutely a double-edged sword. They provide... Uh, great financial security for those that own land, right? I mean, that, that is a farmer's 401k. But at the same time, man, these high prices are making it hard for new entrants. And you talked about transition. Um, you know, you don't want to be at the supper table when, when the parents are thinking that the land is worth $26,000 an acre and the kids are trying to make that cash flow if they try to, you know, transition that land. This is a real hurdle for entry. Todd, this past week, Secretary Vilsack offering some details of the USDA's assistance for distressed yep. loan borrowers. Now, while the farm economy overall may be strong, it's not the case for all borrowers. How will these funds assist, and is there a real need uh, for assistance? You know, Jeff, that, that's we, we all can make these broad statements about the ag economy and, and you know, cash on balance sheets and low leverage ratios and and if you look at it from a macro level, that's all true. But but when you get down to the individual level, it's a very different story. And and everybody has been impacted differently by droughts and fires and hurricanes and, and individual circumstances. So despite this overall strength, I think, in the economy, in the, in the farm economy, that we've seen across the past few years, there, there are a lot of folks out there who are really struggling. 
And so USDA is going to, you know, Congress has passed legislation, uh, $3 billion, I think, north of $3 billion to help the stressed USDA farm loan borrowers out there. Uh, Secretary Bill Sack announced the first tranche of that and previewed the second one that's coming. Um, look, we, we think if you can help some farmers stay on the land and, and have a chance to regain their profitability and have a chance to continue operating, that's a great thing. And, and so we, we stand ready to help implement it, especially with regard to our borrowers who are guaranteed by FSA. You know, I, I, I think everybody's different out there, and, and I think this is a good program. I, I commend the Secretary on, on his announcement, and we stand ready to help him implement it. The Equity Commission has been looking into USDA services to be sure that they are fair and that they're unbiased. Is this also a priority for farm credit? It is. You know, serving farmers uh, of, of all race and ethnicities is a critical part of farm credit's mission. And, and we've known that for many, many years now. And so we've got a variety of programs that we're implementing, outreach programs, uh, financial training assistance, all, all kinds of things that we're trying to do to make sure that that folks out there who really want to be in agriculture and want to make their living from agriculture have that opportunity. That's a, that's an important part of Farm Credit's mission. And, and, and for many, what that means is how are you going to help get people started? Uh, you know, young and beginning and small farm programs specifically designed to, to, to help support their needs are, are critical. And, and every farm credit system institution has that. So we're, we're very involved in that and, and think it's an important part of the future. I'm dragging you into the weeds on this as we start to talk about Farm Bill, but I can't help but note words from uh, leadership and ranking member on the House Ag Committee. Glenn G.T. Thompson was on this program uh, at the end of summer, and he discussed perhaps a shift in Title I programs for crops into a margin-based program similar to that that we've seen in dairy. Just from a 30,000-foot level, with the the volatility that we see with the increased input costs and the value of crops, is this a time to look at change and major change in farm risk management tools? You know, I, I think, Jeff, you're going to find people on uh, for for whom change is always makes them nervous, right? And, and certainly we understand with the level of uncertainty out there, uh, in the in the farm economy, that that the prospect of change can be can be worrisome. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, GT raised the same issue with our board last week when he was on the phone with, and and started talking about is it time to look at alternatives? And and I think everybody should welcome uh, looking at the full the full spectrum of ways we can support. Our, our, our farmers and ranchers out there. Now, that's not saying that one's going to be better than the other, but but I think it's a good idea to look at a lot of alternatives and think through how is agriculture changing and how do we make sure farmers have that safety net moving forward the way they've been accustomed to in the past. I think about a farm bill written five years ago, and agriculture was a lot different five years ago than it is today, and there's still plenty of questions of, our reference price is strong enough. Yes, there is a safety net, but is it an adequate safety net at the input costs and in the economic environment that farmers are operating today? Well, you know, you, you raise a good point about reference prices. If, if somebody had told you five years ago the price of corn today would be what it is, 
I think they'd, they'd take that deal in a minute, right? I mean, I, I think they'd jump all over it. But if they also told you that that the inputs were going up maybe faster than that and what the level of those was going to be, then you've got another discussion entirely. So I, I think we've got to have that discussion. I, I honestly don't envy the House and Senate Agriculture Committees their job of, of looking forward five years because I, placed, I think you put your finger right on it. It's a very different world out there now than it was five years ago and and probably going to be very different in five years from now. So I think that's a tough job. So one of the questions would be just whether, for whatever reason you might give, it's clear that drought is bigger than it was. Uh, it seems to be bigger than it was so many years ago. Catastrophic loss in agriculture is huge. So do you create some sort of a catastrophic program uh, in times of emergency and disaster, and at the same time, keep it from taking away participation in the crop insurance program? Uh, Jeff, I'm glad you finished that sentence the way you did because that's the critical part of this. You know, I I think it is absolutely worth looking at do we need some kind of a permanent disaster program so that, you know, everybody knows these disasters are going to happen, right? We're, We're seeing fires. We're seeing droughts. We're seeing hurricanes down in Florida just last week. and And we know they're going to happen. We just don't know where and when. And, and so a, a permanent disaster program is, is, is worth looking at. But at the same time, that crop insurance program has been the absolute backbone of farmers' risk management techniques for a generation now. And, and we don't want to do anything to jeopardize that. And the idea that, um, you know, farmers are paying for that coverage, right, through their premiums. And, and there's a lower budgetary, uh, government budgetary expenditure as a result of that, right? I, I think all that is, is very worthwhile to consider and worth protecting. So, yeah, I, we, we certainly welcome the discussion about a permanent disaster program, but, but boy, we got to keep an eye on crop insurance to make sure that's still effective for farmers. I don't want to foreshadow a debate that would never happen, but I have to look at the headlines and see so much discussion on environment and climate and climate smart agriculture and wonder if that's not going to make its way into a farm bill debate, especially with lots of new faces on these committees. Todd, do you fear a situation where it might come down to either a climate program or a risk management program? Boy, I sure hope not. And and, and I haven't heard anybody that's pitting one against the other particularly, so so I, I think we got to stay away from that. But, you know, we look at this as a, as what is the next innovation in agriculture? Um, you know, farm credit has been around over a hundred years now and, and we've been financing, you know, basically every kind of innovation in agriculture for that entirety of, of our existence. And, and climate smart agriculture, uh, you know, resiliency out there, regenerative agriculture, a lot of these different ways of looking at how you're going to grow things and produce food for our country, um, we're already financing those changes out there. And farmers are, are fully engaged in that discussion, trying to figure out how to plan for that, try to figure out how to adapt their, their processes on their own, on their own operations. And, and so we look at that as a great thing, right? This is the next level of innovation in agriculture. What we hope we don't see is that, you know, a group in Washington decides 
you know, what is going to be good for this farmer to, in his operation or her operation in South Texas or in California or Nevada or any state out there because it's going to be different all across the country. And so farmers are going to find their way. We're, we're convinced farmers are going to adapt their, their processes and, and operations uh, to give themselves the best chance to succeed, and we're going to support them doing it. So we, we really hope that uh, Congress doesn't pit risk management capabilities against some sort of what we think might be a good climate practice. Well, I'm bringing you into a debate that hasn't happened yet, but then as a lender, could you provide financial support for a, a mandated climate program that isn't profitable for a farm? Well, that'd be really tough, and and that's that is exactly what the message we're sending to Congress is: look, you don't make the lender the referee of what is a good or bad climate practice out there. You know, we we make decisions on credit and repayment capacity, and you know, farm plans, and and if you if you are trying to press farmers to somehow adopt practices that are going to uh, be unprofitable for them, then then are you really asking the right thing of farmers? Uh, we don't think so. And so we, we don't want to be put in that position to say, gosh, uh, we're going to lay this on you, farmers, and, and, and we know you can't be profitable if you do it, uh, but go, good luck going to find a loan. So I, I think that's a place we want to stay away from. At, at the same time, you know, if, if folks want to have a conversation around are there incentives that we can put in place for farmers to help them adapt practices? Uh, that's a different conversation entirely. Todd, we're two years into the Biden administration, and still there are two key positions with regard to trade that are yet un- unfilled within the administration and approved by Congress. How important is trade now, and how important do you see developing or at least maintaining opportunities for producers to sell overseas? Well, I appreciate you being uh, cautious about the way you asked that question. Um, look, we, we, we think USDA and USTR need their full teams. Um, we've got highly qualified individuals who have been nominated. Let's get them confirmed. Let's get them in place. Uh, it, it is critically important. Trade is critically important to U.S. agriculture uh, under any scenario. And, and having those individuals, you know, look, we've known Alexis especially for years. We think she'll do a great job down there. Uh, and so we really need those people in place. Um, and, 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 you know, we've had a little bit of a, uh, a rebalance, if you will, in, in the world as a result of all these supply line changes and things. And so we think it's now more important than maybe ever that U.S. take a look at its trade policy and make sure that we can uh, fill our role in these world markets. What are your thoughts on legislation to protect producers from the SEC rule on sustainability and reporting sustainable practices? You know, boy, I, I, I hear about this everywhere I go, and, and, and everybody has their own interpretation on it. Um, we, we, from, from our narrow perspective, uh, we do not want to have to ask producers to fill out some scorecard or, or you know, disclose to us all, all of these things that people, whatever they may be regarding climate. That, that really can't be our role. And so we don't have the expertise, number one. Uh, 
uh, and farmers are all going to have to do this in their own way. So we're uncomfortable with things that appear designed to force farmers in one direction or the other. You know, you know, uh, unfunded mandates are, are difficult to deal with out there, and especially with margins narrowing. And so we think a more productive way to come at this is let's look for incentives to encourage farmers to adapt things that they believe will help their production, make it more environmentally friendly, make it more efficient, uh, make them more profitable, more resilient. All of those things are good, but, but we hope that whether it's the SEC rule or any other program that somebody's thinking about out there, uh, you know, margins are tight in agriculture. Putting costs on farmers is not the right answer right now. Todd, I thank you for our discussion today. I want to finish with one question, and then we'll go to close. Uh, we're sitting here uh, on the finish of the harvest of 22, looking ahead to 23. It's an uncertain world. It's a shaky financial picture domestically and globally. From the farm credit perspective, what's your outlook for 23 and beyond? I think it's going to be harder. You know, I, I think we think that the, the amount of, of, of federal support, especially for agriculture, that has flowed in the last few years has, has been able to largely get people through the pandemic, the trade disruptions, supply chain disruptions, and, and to where they are right now. Looks like a pretty good harvest in most places. Next year is going to be harder. The margins are going to be narrower. Interest rates are probably going to be higher. Um, availability of some inputs is in question. So all of that, we think, is going to make it tougher on farmers and and especially vital that this next farm bill provide that continuing safety net for farmers uh, in this very uncertain time. Well, Tom Van Hoos, it's a busy time in Washington and certainly across the country with the end of the harvest and uh, looking ahead to the new year. Thank you for taking time uh, from your busy schedule after having your board together and sharing with us here on this edition of Open Mic. Todd, you've been here before. It is Open Mic, and today you've got the last word. I, I appreciate it very much, Jeff, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. I, I just, I, I'd like to end up talking a little bit about the farm credit system. And I bet people don't understand that Farm Credit collectively is the eighth largest U.S.-based financial institution. Nobody would ever know that. And guess what? Farmers own it. They elect the boards of directors. It exists solely to serve them. And it is this financial strength and reach that Farm Credit provides an incredible tool for agriculture and rural communities. You know, our mission is to support rural communities and agriculture with constructive, competitively priced credit in good times and bad. And, and farmers in the U.S. have access to this tool, and it's a tool that no other farmers outside the U.S. have access to. It's a, it is a, a, one of the bedrock things that supports U.S. agriculture. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example. I was in Greenville, North Carolina last year, or earlier this year in February, uh, for a board meeting down there, and it was patronage dividend day in Greenville. Well, Ag Carolina Farm Credit was was returning their cooperative dividends to its customers, and those customers who arrived that day got 50% of the interest they paid the previous year back. And so think about the impact that has writ large on U.S. agriculture because it happened all across the country. And this, this 
financial strength and this capacity help us reach and serve all segments of agriculture, small and large, young and beginning, uh, small and large agribusinesses, co-ops, rural infrastructure providers, U.S. ag exports. These are all businesses that farm credit's in because the farmers who own the farm credit system told us that's where they need us. And so, you know, look, we're, we're looking at a very tough environment moving forward. But the good news is farm credit's going to be there. We're proud to have served for over 100 years. We're modernizing and investing in our systems and people to ensure that we can fulfill our mission for the next 100 years. Our thanks to Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.